Everybody, welcome to this week's HSJ Health Check podcast. I'm Dave West, uh, HSJ Deputy Editor, and um, I'm really pleased to be joined this week up at the um, NHS Confed Expo conference in Manchester by uh, by Com- NHS Confederation Chief Executive Matthew Taylor, who's kindly taken a, a, a few moments out from the busy schedule up here to to talk about um, what's going on, what the big topics are, and and we've both just been listening to the. The annual uh, uh, set piece speech by um, by Amanda Pritchard, the the NHS England chief executive. So I, I think we're going to talk a little bit about that, uh, our um, what we heard and 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 uh, our interpretation of that, and um, and also other themes that we're expecting to to come out of the conference. So um, Matthew, could I kick off by asking you that you, you've listened to uh, Amanda's speech? What did you what did you think? What do you draw from that? Yeah, well, look, before I get into that, Dave, just to say, it's actually, a bit, I feel a bit kind of flattered to be on this podcast because I listen every week and um, uh, I, 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 two or three mornings a week, I cycle across York to a swimming pool and I swim a kilometre and I listen to it to and from the uh, swimming pool. And uh, I always think that the content is fantastic, even though the production value leaves something to be desired. <laughs> we <laughs> so say sitting in front of, uh, <laughs> of some dubious recording machines. Exactly. It's like a group of geniuses sitting in a dustbin. It's always really interesting and you don't waste any money. So anyway, it's great to be here. And, and um, yeah, really interesting speech from Amanda. I think, I think really what was at the heart of it was how to get this balance between acknowledging the challenges that we face acknowledging the fact that, as Richard Medding said this morning, the fundamental problem of the health service is that we face ever-growing demand with limited resources. So acknowledging and recognising that, but also having a story that's about hope and achievement and what's been you know, achieved you know, in the last year. I mean, she, she talked about achievements over 75 years. She talked about achievements over the last year. And that's a difficult, and I think for all of us, uh, you know, we in the Confed have done some polling, we've got to do some work ourselves in speaking to the public at this critical time, Getting that balance between celebrating achievement, having hope, but also acknowledging how difficult issues are. And that there are still some really important shifts we need to accomplish if the health service is going to thrive. And do you think, um, yeah, I was struck on, on that um, contrast in that in, in the, uh, say Amanda set out to give all the reasons, um, looking at the, the ground sweep through the history of the NHS, um, the reasons why, in that context, you know, the NHS has always has, has always um, sort of fought challenge, even even when it was being set up um, way back in in the forties. Um, uh, uh, but she did, um, and and so there's lots of reasons to be to be positive, and you know we have to keep going. But it, I think notably Amanda did did acknowledge in in the Q and A that actually uh, you, leaders at this time really have to think carefully about how to how to keep themselves going, um, you know, how to get out of bed each day and, and do the job. And she acknowledged, you know, actually we've had a pandemic and, and Amanda was clear, uh, I think a year or two ago, that actually there was then an even more difficult period following the pandemic. It's not really, you know, clear whether we're, we're through the woods on that or not. There are some slight glimmers of hope, I not uh, hope, hope I think, but um, but it's early days about whether, you know, this winter is going to be even harder than last winter. Um, and Amanda was was clear that actually what what's coming could be worse uh, or, or could be similarly as, as difficult, which I 
think it's important. Um, but do you, one of the other, she did also, I think, interestingly acknowledge um, that a lot of the thinking at the minute has been has been quite short-termist for the NHS. There's been a necessarily a focus on, you know, particularly during the pandemic, the next week and the next two weeks, what happens. Um, and then in recent, over the past year or so, we've had recovery plans, which are very focused on the next six months, 12 months, 18 months. Um, but she, And she did, she did acknowledge that. But it, it feels to me like it's really... Um, difficult at this time to get any kind of long-term thinking you know we can also we would like to see that you know have a discussion around the 75th anniversary and and i think and you know you yourself have made very clear it's important to have a five-year long-term strategy all the you know ics leaders trust leaders anyone out there wants to see some more long-term thinking but is that actually you know your your background's political strategist is that actually possible in this kind of um, strange sort of long lead up to the next general election well, I think it's possible, you know, for you as our service journal, as journalists, I think it's possible for me as chief executive of the Confederation to talk about that long term. And indeed, that's what I'll be doing in a, in a couple of hours. It's tough if you're in NHS England because, you know, it, it's, I don't think it's a secret that, that the relationship between NHS England and the department is in a challenging mode and, you know, that there is quite a high level of supervision and expectation coming out of the department you know hundreds literally hundreds of technology targets set by politicians by the department just to take one example of, of that kind of level of intervention and when you've got a general election you know, coming up then that 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 tendency of politicians to be short term that tendency of politicians to focus on particular problems at the expense of other issues which aren't quite so much in the public mind. I mean, that just becomes more intense. Now, you know, Amanda's too professional to stand up in front of an audience and say, look, I'm trying to fight for a long-term perspective, even though I'm in the kind of face of a situation where the politicians, you know, are very, very focused on narrower things and very, very focused on the short term. But I think we all kind of know that that's the situation that she's in. And so it's not easy. It's e I, know, I, I can say things that, that Amanda can't say because of the position that she adopts. And so I think quite often she says those things a bit sotto voce. But if you listen carefully, you, you can hear that she's straining to say, let's, let's have that bigger long-term conversation. And I think certainly in tasking the Assembly, the NHS Assembly, which I'm proud to be a member of, in thinking about how we mark the 75th birthday. I think that was a, clearly an attempt to try to instill that longer term stuff into the debate. Mm, easy. I mean, it is realistic for the NHS to put forward a proper long term. You know, we've had we've had five year forward views. We've had NHS long term plans. Can, can that really happen over this next 18 months? Uh, uh, a, a, a longer term vision that people can really believe in? Um, because I think there's a danger with the 75th stuff that we can have a good important a good conversation but it's not really gonna it's not really gonna set a new strategy for the nhs yeah no it's interesting dave i mean look you know i've been in public policy all my life and and kind of big changes in 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 the kind of underlying account that we give of problems you know it it, it takes a long time you have to say it again and again and again <laughs> i'll never forget in about i don't know 2001 i got in a taxi and i talked to the taxi driver and and um for some reason, when we talk about crime, you know, house being burgled or whatever, and I said, I said, well, you know, tough on crime, tough on the causes of crime, which I said as a joke because it's such a cliche. And the tax driver said, oh, he said, that's a really good thought. You, oh, yeah, no, I really like that. So in politics, we would say it's only when you think you'll be physically sick if you say something one more time that the public is starting to recognise it. So 
the, the challenge of, of getting the public to accept some quite deep changes that we need to make in the way we think about health and the way that we uh, approach health is not going to happen because you know I make one speech or because Amanda makes one speech is obviously much more important than I am or Wes makes one Wes Reed makes one speech you have to kind of say it over and over and over again and so you know for me I think we at the Confed have been saying pretty consistent things and we'll go on saying those things and we'll go on pressing the Secretary of State we're streeting to, to focus on those things and 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 you know what I sense actually, and I'll find out a bit more this afternoon when I speak, is that there is a kind of consensus, actually, about the stuff that needs to happen. There is a consensus that we need a health strategy, not just an NHS policy, that, you know, if our country continues to get poorer and sicker, our job is almost impossible. There is a consensus around the need to shift resources upstream more into primary and prevention and community uh, settings. I think there is a consensus about the need to devolve more and to recognise that if the health service is going to be a real player at system and place level, it needs to have greater freedom to respond to local challenges and local circumstances. And I think, although this is a newer element, and this is obviously something I've been talking about a lot, there is starting to be a consensus around how we need to change the conversation with the public. We need to have a, what I'm calling a new social contract with the public. And then finally, I think there's a consensus within the system that we can't do any of that without adequate and sustained investment. So for me, it's just hammering home at those points and hoping that after a while people start to recognise it. Picking up on just one of those points that, that about the new, a new contract with the um, with the public, which which you were speaking about um, last month, I think, wasn't it, as, uh, in this keynote speech? Um, I noticed Amanda sort of gave a, a kind of mention to to this about people taking more control of their health, and you'd think that would be. You know, I remember speaking to um, to someone uh, whose views I really respect very just early in the um, COVID pandemic, as a kind of March when it was clear it was in 2020, it was clear it was getting serious, but you know, not quite clear yet how how much of a phenomenal um, thing it would be. Um, but um, but that actually, you know, people were suddenly <laughs> glued to their TV screens, thinking about their own health, um, and indeed having to manage it themselves in many cases. So you'd think that might have been something to take away. But but I wondered what, um, which doesn't really seem to have seemed to have caught hold now. You know, people are happy to going back to not having to think too much about their own health. But what um, you know, what's the sort of specific that we need to shift that contract? Is this about you know uh, making clear to people you can't access health services? Uh, you know. For a minor minor illnesses, you know things like that, which are quite difficult politically. Well, I I think they make a make a really powerful point, and actually, uh, I'm going to add something to my speech as a consequence of what you say, because it reminds me of a point that I think is important to make, which is that, you know, when we were in the middle of COVID, we we didn't we we all said, look, we need to learn the lessons of this, and I think because it went on so long, and because also, you know, party gate, the kind of culture wars about lockdown etc there's almost a kind of we don't want to talk about it it feels like another kind of element of, of polarization but actually what happened in covid was that you know millions of people made huge sacrifices in order to protect not just their own health but the health of other people millions of people most of us undertook diagnostic tests at home and acted on those you know, diagnostic tests. We had very high level of public awareness of what was going on in relation to the health um, of the nation. And of course, we stepped forward when the vaccination programme started to, to, to take advantage of that and to really you know, crack the, the pandemic. And also, 
we in the health service recognise the importance of working with our partners in order to reach out to those groups who didn't necessarily trust those in authority and get them uh, to, 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 to get vaccinated. All of those really important lessons and also the lesson of trusting leaders because right at the beginning of the pandemic Simon you know wrote to leaders and said look you know basically you've got to find a way through this and I trust you to find the best way to do that so I think you make a really good point about the fact that we you know we should remember some of those lessons of Covid and we should recognize the degree to which the public is able to act responsibly not just for our own health but for the health of of other people now, you know, when the NHS began, it was fundamentally based on a paternalistic medical model. You know, we are the experts and you are kind of passive recipients of our expertise and we're going to give you a pill and it's going to cure you and that's it. Now, we now know that it's much more really about a relationship between the health service and citizens. We know that some of our most important initiatives, anticipatory care, patient initiated follow up, shared care, virtual care, rely actually on patients being active partners in these in these new models of care. So I think in all sorts of ways, we need to recognise that the future of the health service depends upon enabling and empowering patients to feel a greater sense of control. And there's also finally, Dave, sorry to go on, but it's finally a really important equity point here, which is that it is simply the reality that the opportunities for people to, to be empowered are just growing every day. The capacity to know about your own health, your own genetic makeup, to monitor your health through wearables, to get diagnostic tests, uh, to have all sorts of bits of advice and support. And that is just going to grow and grow. That's what the big tech companies are going to do. They're going to offer a richer and richer personalised offer. And unless the health service is able to meet that, unless we are able to achieve that level of personalisation and empowerment with equity, equity, the fundamental principle of the health service, then what we're going to see is just a further divide between the healthy haves and the, and the unhealthy have-nots. So that, that's absolutely imperative. Well, that's a really, really interesting outlook. Um, let's just, I'll just try and cover two more issues quickly, if, yeah, if we can, before course. you need to, to get on to make your own speech um, today. One is to dive into one of the short-term challenges for the, for the health service, which is about the elective waiting lists. Um, now, um, you spoke to HSJ earlier this week, mm. we published a, an interview in, in which you've um, said you were going to be seeking um, some clarity from from Steve Barclay about what, he, what what the government quite means by its big um, you know flagship waiting list target, which is basically it said to reduce the waiting reduce waiting lists. I think plural and and you know you've made this interesting point. Well, that's not quite specific, is it? Um, and that um, there's a lot of facts around. There's a lot of potential factors um, playing into that. What sort of what are you getting at there? You know, what do you what do you think it should be shifted? Do you think there's a, a concern about a sort of blame game or, or, or things if, if the NHS doesn't manage to do that? Yeah, I think it's two or three things. First of all, clarity. You know, I think if the Prime Minister has got a, you know, one of his big five promises, we kind of need to know what that promise is. And, you know, I, I do want to know, you know is, what is it that matters most to the government? Because because I think from NHSE's perspective, it looks very much as though long waits are the absolute priority. If the Prime Minister is talking about the absolute number of people who are waiting, that's a slightly different thing. And that requires slightly different interventions. So I think we need clarity on that. I personally think it should be long waits that are the thing that you're you're focused on because the number of people flowing on is not necessarily a sign of failure. I mean, if, if you've got people waiting a long time, that is a sign of failure. Not that we have failed, but it's a failure to be able to you know to match demand with resource. 
But actually, more people flowing on may be a sign of success. Of course, the list was growing before COVID. For, well, exactly. for, for but a it might be a sign of success because we're undertaking more diagnostic tests and, and more people are finding out that they need an intervention. So, so it's about clarity. I think, secondly, it's about saying you know, that, that, of course, acute elective waiting lists are a really big issue for the public. They're what the press tends to focus on. But there are lots of other waiting lists. There are waiting lists for community services. There are huge and tragic waiting lists for access to children's services, for example. So I hope the Secretary of State will say that it's not just people waiting for elective procedures that we should worry about, but we should worry about the other waits that exist uh, uh, in the health service. And then I think finally, and this was a point I've, I was making to, the, to, to, to you the other day, which is, you know, we've got to recognise that the targets that the government has set, the government needs to acknowledge that the targets that it has set are, are at the higher end of expectations. And if the strikes continue, junior doctors, maybe even consultants, if these strikes continue, if we have another round of, of respiratory, respiratory illness in winter, then it's going to be very hard to do that. I don't think we should be being set up to fail. So I really admire the way that leaders have responded to a challenging planning round, and they've set those really, really stretching targets on performance and finance. But but I want the world to know, and that's why it's great to be able to say it to you, I want the world to know that those targets will be almost impossible to reach if we have lots of things going wrong, like strikes going on all year, like a really tough winter. And we've got to just be honest and realistic about that. I don't want the NHS being a political football next spring if for reasons that are completely understandable, we've not been able quite to reach the targets that we're trying to trying to get to. Okay. And, and a final topic we, we should cover is um, the, the Patricia Hewitt's um, review of, around the integrated care systems. Lots of um, integrated care systems represented here at Confed, integrated care boards, and um, a lot of the issues that they are, that they... Are keen to 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 get into and that that feature in Patricia Hewitt's review being discussed and discussed at the conference. But um, you know, I think you made right at the point right at the time it was published that it's all about the government and NHS England actually doing something about it afterwards. And and it does seem to be a problem with that because you know the government doesn't seem terribly keen on a lot of that stuff. It's short term focused, etc., etc. And NHS England is seems a little lukewarm. I mean, Amanda Pritchard did, did mention the Hewitt Review and the potential for developing um, NHS England's like operating model in response to it. But, you know, there's been a really bruising, I've just been through, as the word used, a very bruising planning round in which systems and trusts were instructed to fill in spreadsheets, um, you know, based on nothing, uh, 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 something that had come down from the top rather than any local reality. And, um, and, and again, NHS doesn't seem to have fully um, inculcated this, this local autonomy. So, so how do you, what next? Do we have to again wait for, to, to emerge from uh, some undetermined point to move into this promised land? Yeah, really, really interesting. And, and, and look, first of all, you know, to recognise that, that, you know, Amanda comes here and, 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 you know, delivers a great, fascinating, you know, speech. This is somebody who was overseeing the most dramatic change process within her own organisation, merging different parts of the NHS, but also overseeing this massive reduction in headcount. And that must be, you know, a Herculean task, you know. So I'm, I think she's got one of the toughest, toughest jobs in, 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 in the country. I think in relation to Hewitt, Patricia did a fantastic job and we were delighted in the Confed to be working really closely in supporting that work. Again, I don't think it's any secret that both the department and NHSE were ambivalent about her review. It was very much Jeremy Hunt's baby. But I think Patricia 
you know, demonstrating all the skills you would expect from somebody who's a former Secretary of State and Chair of an ICS, you know, got that review to a point where it made a number of really important recommendations. And, you know, if what I hear is confirmed uh, in terms of, of the response, what we'll see is that, you know, it's not that every recommendation Patricia made gets a big tick by it, but that there is a real sense of wanting to go in the direction she talked about, wanting to see fewer targets, wanting to have funding less cut up into tiny overdefined pots of money, a willingness to, to think a bit more about, about the capital spending process, which is, a, which, is, which is a bit of a mess, to try to join up thinking in government a bit more around kind of public health and prevention. So, you know, I think if you take the operating model, if you take the response to Hewitt, if you take the new NHS mandate, what we're expecting to hear next week, I think what you've got, and it's really interesting, is you've got a kind of consensus around the need for a centre that is more strategic, more focused, less micromanaging, one that does genuinely devolve more to systems and places and trusts. But you have a reality that is not caught up with that. So as you, exactly as you said, you know, what's happened in the planning round, the day-to-day -day reality, you know, what, how the department actually operates. So you've got this disjunction, I think, between what people are saying is right and what is actually happening. Now that resolves in one of two ways. It either resolves because we abandon the principles of behind Hewitt and the operating model and the mandate, and we just say, no, low micromanagement is the way to go, or we recognise those principles and we start to adapt our day-to-day -day behaviours in line with them. And look at I think it's our job at the Confed, and this is how we'll respond. You know, people say, well, how are, you, how are you going to respond to the response to Hewitt? And, and I say, well, look, I'm not going to sit here and give it points out of 10. For me, it's a mandate. You know, the government has accepted many of those principles. It's our job now to work with NHS England and work with the department to carry those principles forward so that they do start to impact things like the planning round next year. So they do start to make a difference to the day-to-day. -day. And also, critically to influence a potentially incoming Labour government, who knows what's going to happen. You know, so to say to her, you know, one of the dangers, as you know, David, as we approach an election, is you get a kind of bidding war between the parties in terms of their retail offer. And the more that they put in the shop window in terms of what they're going to deliver, the more whoever comes into government has got all those targets, and from those targets come other targets and that kind of control mechanism. So for us, a really important battle is not just with department NHS England but with Labour as well to say you know let's recognise the consensus about the need for a better balanced system one that is less hierarchical less top down that that is not how you get dynamic change and there's lots of evidence to support this so I'm hopeful that the reality will catch up with the consensus but of course there's a danger that the consensus falls apart in the face of the reality and you know that's that's one of the critical battlegrounds over the period to come. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much for your for your time, Matthew. We both um, better get back to our, our conference um, duties, especially yourself. Um, uh, thank you particularly for your kind words about the podcast. Um, I will look forward to <laughs> listening to myself on the way to the same board. <laughs> Absolutely. Even more enjoyable than usual, and especially from an esteemed uh, podcaster such as yourself. I recommend your uh, your podcast as well. And um, and we'll be back from our normal uh, HSJ dustbin next week.